Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bobblehead Podcast. We're glad you're here. Today, we talk a little bit about uh, culture and some of our experiences with company culture in the past, and a little bit about uh, how we see culture and what do we do here at our organization uh, in dealing with people and how do we see value and how do we see people as employees, as family members, or as value producers. So I think we're going to get a lot out of this today. So uh, we're glad you're here. The spirit of skiing. Okay. That's what, did you get what you thought you were going to get? Did you, did you get what you thought you were going to get? Oh, dang. For your trip? For your, for your, for Christmas from Brandon? You pretty much know about it. Did you want to tell Davin about that? I feel like I'm still out of the loop on this. Nice. Where are you going? Uh, Where's that? Colorado? Okay. Well, I mean, they're all west of Denver. Like, you're going to have a hell of a time skiing <laughs> east of Denver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so. you, you know what's funny is uh, Lisa's sister and her boyfriend, Jake, is from, like, Lake of the Ozarks area in Missouri. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, they came by the house last weekend or whatever it was to get some ski clothes. I'm like, cool. Yeah, we, we have ski mm-hmm. clothes for days, right? As you mm-hmm. can imagine, four kids. And, and we like, I'm a skier. She's a snowboarder. Completely inconsequential to this conversation. Wait, 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 wait. What did you just say? I'm a skier. She's a snowboarder. She being? Lisa. Is a snowboarder. Is a snowboarder. And a really good snowboarder. Really? I wouldn't have ever in a million years yeah. guessed that. She's That's cool. She's a really good. Good for and, her. And the crew and Landon both snowboard too, but Landon prefers to ski more. Okay. And, you know, my kid skis and Peyton falls down. Sure. Um. Anyway, so... They're like, yeah, we're going to get ski clothes. So I'm like, where, where are you guys going? Where are you going um, skiing or snowboarding or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's in like Western Missouri, like on the border of Kansas. I'm like, what? And so fast forward a couple of days, we're, we're at dinner um, for Lisa's on, and they send pictures and they're on this, what what looks like nothing more than a hill, yeah, right? That right. looks, it, it's more akin to like the natural curvature of the earth. <laughs> 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 like, like take that flat earthers, you know, like, like there's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they're like, yeah, it, it was a, a, a hill with a couple of runs and, and they went, and I'm like, that is not from, from my viewpoint, that's, that's not, not skiing or no. snowboarding, right? Like yeah. that's, you're literally like going down an extended speed bump. Yeah. And like, was there a pickup truck? They all hop in to go to the top of the hill. I think there was a lift, but like it, it, it couldn't have been more than a hundred feet in yeah. rise. So it's one hill. You go up and you come down. And there's a couple like like kind of spiders off of it. But I, I, I'm like, that's not like, are you paying for that? Um, it can't be fun. But the good thing is you can't hurt yourself falling down. Because again, like it has slightly more slope, like an in, inconsequential amount of greater slope than like this floor. But it, but if, if it's two hours from your house or an hour and a half from your house. I guess. Then. But imagine like being that person and then going to like Winter Park. Or to like Jackson Hole, or like, Big Sky, or somewhere like that. Wow! And you're like, holy crap! Like yeah. I have to go down that. Like right. I'm, I'm used right. to like, just. So it sounds like it's a it's one it's a bunny slope. Yeah, but it's like the, apparently like a, a lot of people go there. Yeah, like is a is a is a ski, is a ski thing. They're probably making about two million a year in that. I yeah, and I'm not I'm, <laughs> I'm not mad at them for the business concept. Yeah. It just it blew my mind to see the hill. Yeah, I I'd never heard. I didn't know they did. Yeah, that. I'll have to find an incentive to you. Yeah. Like it, it was. It, it, again, it was the curvature of the earth. At least they had snow. I guess. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been to New Mexico. And other than Taos, like Red River will be like ice and they're making it. Yeah, I've never skied um, New Mexico. 
Yeah. Tops is great. Montana, Wyoming. And, and the rest Colorado. of it's like hit and miss depending on the really? snowfall. Yeah. And, and and I'm sure you've you've skied on um machine snow a lot. And it's a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. It's icy. Yeah. Fast. It, it, if it's if it's fresh, it's not too bad. It tends to be a little bit kind of crusty. It gets crusty fast. It does get crusty right? fast. Instead yeah. of the fresh, what do they call yeah. it? Pow pow pow. Pow pow. What? Pow, Powder. Pow? This isn't what do they call it? See? Yeah. Have you got a stutter or is that what fresh they really powder. call it? <laughs> <laughs> you got a twitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, 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 don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it, yeah. it's, it's the effects from, from the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, how were your holidays? It was good, man. Um, we hosted Christmas Eve, uh, third year in a row, we hosted Christmas Eve. Yeah. You know, kind of established our, our, our norms and we do a, a big kind of like low country. But this was the new house, travel. right? Yeah. The new house, the new, new, house. the new, new we still house. Own the old, new, <laughs> the new, old, old, new, whatever. You're in yeah. real estate now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knew that I was getting up in real estate, but we hosted the new house and, you know, we've, we've put a lot into the new places, you know, and, you know, floors and, and everything else. And so it, it was cool. Yeah. Um, you know, did crawfish not crawfish uh crab shrimp we did it like a low country boil turned out really cool watch yeah. the cowboys game and you know here's the thing you know i'm not a cowboys fan yeah. but like this shows the evolution of davin because when when i was in my 20s i would be in a bar and like i've got stories of like you know being in like west texas bars like cheering against the cowboys like a true a-hole yeah, right? sure sure and you know now i just learned i'm not a cowboys fan in a weird way i've kind of become a cowboys fan because mm. I know, other than the Falcons, I know more about the Cowboys than any other football team. It doesn't mean you have to root for them, but you just know a lot about the players, and because you were to watch the game, you know more about them and kind of what makes them tick. Right, and- so it's like it's some weird trauma bond thing that I got going on with the Dallas Cowboys. But um, I, I to show my evolution, I don't cheer against the Cowboys when I'm in a room full of Cowboys fans. Like, all of Lisa's families are Cowboys fans. And I just kind of sit quietly and maybe even, you know, like, mutter under my breath a little bit, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to be that guy anymore. Yeah. That, that is raucously, obnoxiously cheering against mm-hmm. the team that everybody else in the room is cheering for. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I used to have a, uh, I think it was a nephew. Yeah, my, one of my nephews. And it was basically whoever we were cheering for, he would cheer for the opposite. And like in a very derogatory way. And it really got old. Like, it makes you very I mean, unlikable. And it's like, I know you don't even like the other team. The only reason you're doing that is just because I like this team. Yeah, right? it, it makes you unlikable. It does. And Peyton is a Cowboys fan, and he's you know has kind of the same again love hate relationship with the Cowboys. Sure. And he was sitting there watching the game, and so like I've kind of coached him over the years to be the same way. Yeah. Like don't basically don't be me when right. I was your age, right? Um, because it, nobody will like you, and yeah. then your Christmas gift like list gets shorter. People don't want to be around <laughs> you get shorter. Like, it's, like which is a really good way to train your kids of you know say these things and you get fewer presents. Right. And and that, mind that you, you're them. you're in the room full of people that are getting ready to give you gifts the next day. Right. So. Unless you want those gifts to disappear either that day yeah. or the next day or yeah. the subsequent years, just say nothing. And you know the reality of it is, is man, it's just treat it like another football game. Like if you're watching, like I, like let's say that the Chiefs are playing Buffalo, right? I, I really don't really care who yeah. wins. I mean, I, I just like want to see a good game. Yeah. And I don't have a dog in the hunt, so I just want to see a good game, and it'd be cool to see somebody play really well. And you know, to me, it's that that would be what I would try to do. Yeah. And it's not that easy. It's not that simple. I wish it was. No. Um, but uh, again, it's just, it's, it's weird, but it was okay. good. And you guys, what, y'all yeah, just at the so, house. Yeah. So, um, our, our beautiful and elegant podcast producer, Sophie, um, they were, she was, uh, with Brendan's family okay. this weekend, which was kind of different, for y'all, kind of right? sad yeah. for us, but we we're also happy because we got on Thanksgiving. And so we were happy that they got to be with, with his family and stuff, which is important. Um, so uh, 
Reagan, my oldest, and her husband, Kyle, they came over about right before the Cowboy game, about 3, 3.15 on, uh, I guess that was Christmas Eve, yeah. And they stayed till about mm, 8.30, 8.45. And uh, so we're, we could do the gift exchange thing on Christmas Eve. Okay. And so uh, they got their presents and left. That's, <laughs> and that's, you got that's to- actually not true. They, they hung around for a while. And Reagan loves puzzles. And so she had to finish the puzzle because she she has to do that. She has to finish the puzzle before she can leave. So we had five dogs at the house. We had, uh, I guess, what did we have? Five people and five people and five dogs. And like all doodles but one. No, two. I guess Piper's um, not a doodle either, right? Yeah, Piper's kind of a mutt. And then uh, uh, our friend Diana was there, and she has a golden, 15-year-old golden. And uh, so anyway, it was it was fun. It was different. Um, but you know, when, when the kids all left, it was just, you know, Jamie and I and Diana and we just kind of hung out and we kind of watched dad a movie and, um, Reagan gave me a, uh, you know, like I, when we were doing the Talladega nights thing, we had the, the St. Uh, Ricky yeah. candle. So she gave me one of Clark Griswold uh-huh. like that. That's awesome. So yeah. we, so we burned the Clark Griswold candle and, uh, watched one last Christmas vacation and about 30 minutes into it. I'm like, I'm over it. I've over. seen it enough. Yeah. yeah. So we, but we, you know, we burned a fire and, and, uh, just turn the lights down and just kind of chill and the dogs chilled. So 1130, we're like, yeah, I think it's time for bed. So that was, that was the extent of that. And then Christmas day, um, we were at the Mavs game, which was a fantastic, one of the best games I've seen in a long time. They played the Lakers. Yeah. And so there's a lot of Lakers fans there because there's a lot of Laker fans everywhere. Kind of like Cowboy fans across the nation. Um, and there were a lot of Lakers fans, which for the most part, they were really cool. So, uh, you know, they were rooting for their team, which I, I would too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you, I, I know that on Christmas Day, the money that was made by ticket holders was large amounts. So, Stephen Reed, to, you know, Stephen, yeah, yeah. I was texting him the other day, and he goes, man, he just, I think he has four in the 300s, which is the upper level. He said he just banked, just killed it on that day. So we thought about selling ours, but we didn't have anything that day. So we're like, we might as well go. And I'm really glad we did. Yeah. And I'd imagine the experience is pretty cool. Again, playing a marquee team yeah. you know, like the Lakers on Christmas yeah. Day yeah. at was, home. It was fun. And the place was packed. Oh, probably sure. pe- Probably people like us, empty nesters. And- yeah. Well, and, and the Lakers, they're like the Yankees yeah. or the Cowboys. They they travel yeah. well, right? Yeah, they and, were. And, and for me, I think it was, you know, talking to you and talking to Soph about it too. I know y- y'all are going over to her and Brennan's place tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the kind of that passing of the torch, right? Where as a parent, it was always you that was hosting. It was always you that was responsible for right. everything. And that kind of changing of the guard and giving it to your kids and letting them take it and run with it. Yeah. It's for me being in those shoes. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I, you're getting ready to go through that. And, and it's, I'm sure going to be a different kind of stress, right? Yeah. You don't have to worry about it as much, but you still want it to go well. So you're invested in it. And yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you say that it was very different this year and people ask, well, what is it like? It What is it like? And I see, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. It's cool because there's really no expectations. Right. Part of it is the kids are older, but there's still no real big expectations of, you know, oh, we have to get this done. We have to do this. We, we had, I think I told you we had tamales and chili. So it was super easy. I made fresh margaritas. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was chill and there just, there wasn't just a ton of stress. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that Jamie and I are both learning is, you know, that the expectations of the kids aren't what we thought they would be. Um, and they still want to have fun. They want to have some nostalgia and have some of the same things they remember. But the stress of, you know, all of the things when they're, when they're kids, it's just not there. So it's pretty nice. Yeah. It's, it's nice to sleep at night and not have to put together stuff. 
1130 at night to help, you know, in case Santa didn't come in time to get all the things put together so Santa could actually bring it down the chimney. So, you know, you do that outside so he can bring it down the chimney. You know, that happens, right? Yeah. Okay. Of course. Make sure. You know, yeah. and, and again, the expectations are different and, and you kind of reestablish like norms, you reestablish traditions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, I mean, I've, I've re re reestablished, <laughs> like I've got all of the reestablishing of, of you're of, able to, you're able to take the best of several things and yeah, put like, them together to one. Like, like this works Just and this pull, doesn't. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. a plethora of experience there. It I is. say, take, but take the best of all of them. In, in, but I, I'd imagine from, and I see it with Lisa's parents too. Like it's fun for them to embrace the traditions, the new traditions established by their kids and, and their spouses. Yeah. So, which by the way, I think that's the coolest thing. I think I've told you this before that you do like King crab or mm -hmm. snow crab or King snow, crab, snow crab, usually. snow crab, dude, King crab this year. Is it ridiculous? It's, just, it's a, that's a uh, story for another podcast, but <laughs> the price of King crab this year is like sky high because like 7 million of them went missing. Story oh, that's right. I yeah. did hear about yeah. that. So, like they shut down. <laughs> yeah, the, dude, it's like $80 a pound for King crab oh, or something just obnoxious wow. right now. Wow. So uh, I, I think it's really cool that you do crab on Christmas. I mean, I think that's neat that you don't do traditional stuff, but to me that's fun because you get to sit around just cracking, cracking open crab yeah. legs and shrimp and, yeah. and, so, and dip it in sauce and just having a conversation without the sit down clinking of the plates and the, and the, you know, forks and knives and all that sort of thing. Yeah. The expectation, we literally just set up the table, bring in 30, 40 pounds worth of cro uh, crab and shrimp boil from outside and dump it on the table and tape trash bags to the corners of the table so people can, you know, put their, their, yeah. their trash and their shucked shellfish in there. Mm -hmm. And we just stand around and laugh and drink and eat. And there's no pretension. There's no, again, I feel like oftentimes there's such like high level of expectation about like, you have to say the perfect prayer or like the perfect thing at the right time right, to be the perfect right. host. And like this way, like everybody's on the tail and watch a cowboy game. Everybody's got a few drinks in them. Everybody's happy because the Cowboys won. And now we just get to eat a cool meal together and enjoy each other's time. And you know, this is another podcast for another day um, is uh, I think it'd be cool to talk about expectations families have and setting up family traditions. Um, and we won't talk about it today, but I, th I think that'd be really cool because I think about what you do with the crab legs, right? Mm -hmm. And and doing something different without expectations that we have to have a, a ham and a turkey and sit down and do all this stuff. And because at the end of the day, man, it's just, it's about family spending time with family. Yeah. And, and you want it to be where you can have quality interaction, but you don't want to have to have an hour and a half dinner where everybody's really at you know, 30 minutes in, they're kind of done with it and they're sitting around. Then it becomes miserable for the kids and becomes miserable for everybody else. Then it gets to be where, why are we doing this? Well, and like Turkey sucks. Nobody ever talks about that. Like Turkey's not good. It's dry. It's flavorless. Like you have to go through this extremely arduous process to inject in part, any kind of flavor into Turkey. It's like everybody does it because it's a tradition, but it's roast beef is better. Crab and seafood are better. There's a th ham is better, but we all eat turkey because it's some weird tradition. I started to argue with you about that, and I was like, "No, actually, turkey is great." But I, the only way I like turkey is with like turkey and dressing. Is with gravy and dressing and everything yes, to, to mask the, the that, flavor. To mask, yeah, because the, there's no flavor. I, you know, I, I'm I feel I'm a little bit down now. Yeah, yeah dude, thanks I, for bringing that up. We but. had no turkey on Thanksgiving this year. We had no turkey on Christmas Eve. We did have it for. We're, she's giving us the five minute warning. That we talked about <laughs> talked about nothing, and yeah. and I had like three bites of it on Christmas Day. Again, I don't mind turkey, yeah. but it's in terms of like what is going to make for a good centerpiece. Not that it's right at the bottom, and everybody yeah. stresses about it because it's it's hard to turn into something good. So you're either going to fry it, you're going to burn your damn house down, yeah. Or, or you're you going to brine smoke it for three days, before right? You're going to brine it yeah. to, again to massive flavor. What a right, what a turkey right. tastes like, yeah. or you're going to try to put it on the smoker and you're going to make it taste like an ashtray. That's true. 
can you tell I've got some issues with turkey? Uh, it's a podcast. I feel like, so day. if I would ask you, do you like turkey? What would you say? I do. I do. Uh-huh. Um, but I, it's not, I don't understand why there's this big hoopla about making it the centerpiece for every holiday. I get it. I get yeah. it. And it is difficult. I, I completely agree. I, I would, I would rather, and that's kind of what I was excited about this year with doing tamales and chili. I was, I would rather have a really good brisket or ribs or something that everybody really enjoys. And it's a laid back lunch yeah. or dinner or whatever it is. Right. And that's what we enjoyed this year was it's like, do you want your tamale separate from your chili or do you want a bowl to put it all together? Hell yeah. That was the big question. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. little bit of cheese, a little bit of sour cream over the top of it. You know, you know it. maybe note, maybe a little Fritos. On heck, it too. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, nothing wrong with a little Frito pie. I was supposed to do two briskets for friends on on Friday. Oh yeah, but the weather was crazy, and and I've never this is the first time I've ever done it. I tried. I couldn't get the smoker above like one eighty five, no matter what. Like, too cold. It was so cold outside, and I mean, like it's like an old locomotive trying to go down the like the track. <laughs> like I'm just shoveling coals inside yeah. this thing. Yeah, and finally I just had to call it. Yeah, I'm like look, I can't like all. I'm happy to do it another time, but yeah. man, it was it was absolutely brutal trying to yeah, cook that. And, and honestly, it, that wasn't the culture I was trying to set. Oh, that's a fantastic segue. Why yeah. don't we talk about culture? Real we quick? should we should talk about culture? Yeah. So let's let's do that. Let's talk about culture when it comes to an organization. So we'll we'll, we'll pivot over to kind of a professional discussion, and you know, I don't want to get too deep into this of what we've done over the years, but we've learned some very valuable lessons about culture. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, we really have. You know, and. It was what probably accompanied almost the Me Too movement, I think, in terms of when culture be, like bubbled to the surface and became this like omnipresent thing inside of an organization, and right. became this this buzzword or this this phrase that was very important about you know what type of organization you wanted to be and core values and and all of those things, and and we put a lot of effort into that, and and I'm I'll I'll back the fact that we did, but you you and I especially we have a bit of a counterculture viewpoint on culture. We do, we do. And, you know, we've tried a lot of things and being a small company, you know, we've tried to, we tried to embrace, you know, we're family and we try to embrace, make sure that everybody's good and that, that morale is good and, and try to address things, you know, in a way that would try to make everyone happy. And, you know, I've always thought, man, how do big organizations do that? You just can't, at what, at what stage when you have X number of employees that you just lose that because you just can't. You know, I mean, when you, you can't scale that kind of a, in quotes, culture, right? You, you really can't scale that. So, you know, talk, we can talk about, for me, we tried that and we had, we had some, some, at the beginning, some really good things that happened because of it. But as we grew a little bit, it turned into chaos. Mm-hmm. It turns into just number one, the bane of my existence and two, it became where that was our job was keeping the culture of the company up and we lost sight of what we were about and we lost sight of what we were trying to accomplish. And, and, you know, if you pivot that over to what we are today, our cultural culture resides around, you know, building great product and, you know, getting that in the customer's hands in a way that they can meaningfully use it. Yeah. And and everything else is just kind of side stuff, right? It's not part of our culture. It is it, we all in today we kind of everybody does their jobs and they're expected to do their jobs in a certain way and create value to the organization and outside of that man not much there yeah and i think what we saw and we've seen this multiple times across across our tenure working together is that when you you know, culture it's it's not that it's not important but too much of an emphasis on it what ends up happening within your respective teams 
right? Because people, when they cluster together, end up kind of forming their own kind of subculture anyway. Yep. And we saw this. And, and what you'll have happen as an organization, if you're not careful and if you foster this, we're all family, we're all, you know, kind of in this together too much, you'll end up having these subcultures and they will, they will inevitably subvert the overall mission of the organization because they believe that their subculture as a team and as a group and it like whatever you want to call it becomes more important than the mission of the organization. I think you nailed it with that. As you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Is, is every group feels like their subculture is more important than the mission and the culture of the organization. And it gets to be where their mission becomes more important than the mission of the, the unit. And so what you get is a house divided. And, you know, when that happens, then it's a lot of finger pointing. And when things don't go well, it's not us because we have a we have a superior mission. We have a superior culture to your group. Yeah. Right. And so it's your problem. And I, I don't want to get into this, but I'll I'll tell you that to me, it all came to a head when, you know, everybody wanted to have for the first time. By the way, we're, if you don't know much about our organization, we're a virtual company. I think there's what four or five of us that maybe work in an office mm -hmm. and everyone else is, is works out of their home and has, and they've done that since 2004. So it wasn't something we created. It wasn't something that, you know, we did over the pandemic. It's always been us and we had to, because we had to find people no matter where they were. So with that being said, we had people in the organization that had never met anybody else in the organization. So everybody wanted to get together and have one big meeting. So we, we scheduled in Fort Worth, to have a hotel that had a big kind of a gathering area and meeting rooms and uh, the whole company flew in pretty expensive endeavor. And uh, we thought that it would be a great way to kind of unite everyone and get towards one mission and have, and we spent a lot of time and a lot of money on trying to do that. And within the first day and a half, that subculture of each individual group came out with claws and it was ugly to the point of, we closed it down early and sent everybody home. Mm. It was so bad. And that was the point where I said, I don't care anymore. I'm never doing that again. And there was a lot of people that um, were no longer with the organization much longer after that. Yeah. And just because of they were putting themselves above the mission. And it became very evident that, you know, they almost put their foot down and said, it's this or nothing. And so we chose nothing. People in groups, they tend to form together and they tend to kind of form their own ideology about things. That's human nature. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's going to happen. So you're going to have a department that's going to form together. These personalities are going to mesh and here's going to kind of become their subculture. And then the other departments are going to be the same way. But the problem is with too much of that driven by leaders who don't always have the most altruistic intentions is those things can clash, right? Yep. And again, they work too. And we've seen this actively subvert the other the other team. And so for us, what counters all of that, again, I acknowledge that counter that subcultures are going to happen. And and I, I I won't even argue their importance, right? Or or the lack of importance. I, I think it's it's a thing you have to deal with it. So for us as an organizational level, we balance that with what matters is performance. Right. Right. And you know, we talk about we're a team, right? We're or we're a family, right? Mm -hmm. My my goodness, you and you know I hate that that we're a family here. Yeah. And because I, I've talked about it before, but I'll talk about it again people talk about their family. And when you first meet somebody, they talk about how great their family is. Oh man, I love, you know, just, we're, we're just, we're just all family. We're just, we're all so close. Right. And the more that you get to know somebody, yeah, I love my family, but my mom is a drunk. I haven't talked to my brother in three years. My uncle's in jail 
And there's, you find out all these fractures in the way that they really feel about their family. But the problem is because we're related, because we're family, we're willing to pick up that rug and sweep it underneath. Yep. Because yep. We, you, you, you have to deal with these people. Because you don't have a choice. You can't get rid of your family. Right. Right. And so for us, we went through this transition to a high performance team. Right. Um, and we've all had coaches, we've had pastors, we've had those formative influence that wanted us to be successful like parents, that wanted us to win like our grandparents did, but they weren't going to put us on the field if we weren't the best person right. for the moment in the moment. Yeah, right. Because at the end of the day, it's a game, it's a game we're trying to win. Exactly. We're, we're trying to win the game. And, and so for us, we've, we've worked hard to drive performance based on metrics and trying to find the right people using our culture, the foundations of our culture to find the right people but then measure them by performance and performance alone because performance doesn't lie. And it's 80-20, 80%. Here's how you can be successful and then we're gonna allow you to tap into the to your talents and your unique abilities to figure out how you can be most successful. Because how I'm gonna do a task and how you're gonna do a task are different. But if we define the success parameters parameters for that task and then allow us to tap into our unique abilities, that's when cool stuff happens. And that's when a high performance team happens. And the other side that's so important about the difference between high performance uh, teams and families is we, as a high performance team, we don't allow C players because we right. want A players. Right. And if I'm willing to, to accept and absorb a C player inside of this organization, why would the A players stay A players? They see that this C player can stay a C player and make the same amount of money as me as an A player. So I'm gonna regress to the mean. So as a high performance team, we owe it to ourselves and that's where the accountability factor comes into play. And if you if you act and you carry out your mission like a high performance team, they'll have accountability measures in place to each other and they'll root out the C players and get rid of right. them. Whereas a family, we're stuck together. We're right. family, there's nothing we can do about it. I just have to accept the fact that you suck and move on and either carry your weight or get, or get worse at my job. And so that's why for us, we counter that subculture with nothing but performance. I love that. And, and you know, to, to me, the first time we did that, and I can remember going back years and years ago, is that we would have a team of seven people and they're telling us that we're at hundred percent capacity. You know, we're doing, we're doing all this work and it takes all seven of us to do it. And we actually need two more people. Right. And so you go in and kind of start doing some rooting around. You find that there's maybe a C player on that group in that group and you weed out that C player. And amazingly, now you have six and not seven productivity goes up 20%. And on top of that, everyone's happier. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why is because they are, they get to do their job and do their job really well instead of making up for the guy or gal that was a C player that couldn't do their job, that wasn't working hard or didn't have the same values or didn't have the same work ethic, work ethic or wasn't bringing the same value to the group or the organization, and they were making up for them. And so now they get to do what they love to do and do it well, and they're happier and get more productivity. And so I'm, I'm not saying go out there and cut people just for cutting people that you're going to get more productivity. But, you know, if you have a culture that looks at the group and sees, you know, what part of the group is effective and bringing value to the organization and who individually is not and weeding those people out, that's where you create a culture of performers or high performers. And, and we're happiest when we perform and we're doing the things within our strengths and we're doing them well and not dragging someone along that doesn't really want to be there. Well, and that's why you know, performance metrics, they're objective. Yeah. They don't care what color you are, they don't care what race, they don't care what sex, they don't care how you do it. It, it just it drives for the ultimate success for the organization. And we, this is a podcast for another day, but we <laughs> did that as an organization. Yeah, we, we reduced did. our headcount 
by almost 40% over four and a half years. Yeah. And our top line is up. Our yep. bottom line is up. Our productivity is up. I would argue that, you know, in, in what's been good is we've been able to, our, our average compensation for our employees has gone up. So retention yeah. has gone up, right. right? So it's allowed us to allocate our resources more effectively and more efficiently as an organization. And all of the objective performance measures that we have in place have increased as by us reducing our headcount. We didn't do it to get rid of people. No. We did it because we, we figured out how to measure their performance. Right. And if they, if they weren't performing and almost to a man or to a woman, if they weren't performing, they were probably also part of that ugly subculture. Yep. They had to go. 90% of the time, that's very accurate. Yeah. For sure. And, and you know, one of the things that we've talked about this in the podcast before, and we'll, we'll kind of finish up with this, is that, you know, if you, if you own an organization, if you're, if you're running an organization or if it's your organization, understand that there's going to be people come and go based on how you scale your business. When, when you're really small, there's going to be some people that fit really well and they're exactly who you need. But as you grow and you're now five X doing five X than what you were doing, the people you're going to have at the five X is going to be maybe different people than you had at the one X. Mm -hmm. And when you go 10 X or 15 X, you're probably going to have different people. And so, you know, there's different per personalities and different people that work well within a really small company. But as that company grows and it gets bigger, they don't always do well inside of that. And it's either because of a comfort level or because that's just how they work. You know, for instance, I've told you a million years, a million times that I, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a CEO of a billion dollar company. Right. That's not who I am. I have no interest in that whatsoever because the things you have to manage in a billion dollar company are very different than you have to manage with a company our size. And so it's just not how I'm wired. I, I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't do well at it. And so just like that, you know, people are going to come and go in your organization and know that that's okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important to look back. I look over, look back at our, our 22 years and, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't with us today, but we wouldn't be where we are without them. And I'm very thankful for those people. And, you know, they left us went on and, and went to another organization that was the size we used to be and have done very well. And so, um, man, not a knock on them at all. It's, it's been tough for me to scale sometimes. But um, I know that it's really changed us when we look at, you know, what do we need for a position? What do we need to get done? And who is the best person for that? And, and when we bring them on, have those KPIs and look at, are they bringing value to that team? Are they bringing, about, are they bringing value to our mission? And man, if they are, then welcome to the team. Yeah. And that's our culture. Yeah. And you certainly, you know, kind of put a softer edge on this thing when, you know, it sounds ruthless and business certainly has ruthless elements to it, right? Like we're, we're all responsible again to make this thing successful and grow. And sometimes you have to make difficult decisions, but, and, and that includes losing people, mm -hmm. whether it's through self-attrition or whether, or whether you, you let them go, but that doesn't mean that you toss them out in the cold. Right? right. And that's the other side of what we do. And probably good place to wrap this up is, you know, we put a lot of effort and intention into helping our people develop. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we help them develop plans that, bump into a glass ceiling here at the organization. If we don't have um, you know, a spot for them, we help them find somewhere else, right? Yep. We, we want to catch them on that meteoric rise. And we've had people come back as a result of us being thankful and willing to let them go mm -hmm. without it being a fight, without it being ugly. Right. You know, first of all, Hey, I'm super excited for you, man. That's awesome. I'm, I'm so happy to hear about your, your, your new offer and your, right. your, your new um, position. We're going to miss you, but yeah. you know, and, and so there is an element to it that sounds ruthless but if you do put that intention into helping your people grow, they're going to outgrow your organization sometimes. And, mm -hmm. and that's the positive side of it. And that's one of the cool things that you've done is I, I know there's been several 
uh, team members, employees over the years that you've said, Hey, you know, you're, you're doing amazing things here and, but you're, you're going to outgrow us mm-hmm. and you have a bigger next step than us. And so, you know, be thinking about that. Yeah. Or, or there's been a couple where they've been here too long. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, look, you're, you're dying on the vine. Yeah. You're great here. But if you want to grow past us, like the time is now to develop a plan to get you to move on to another organization to where you can continue to expand. Because if you, if you stay here for two more years, your resume, it's, it's, it's going to be a limiting factor. For right. You. And totally we've got some people move on that way. And, and you know, and, and that's what, with the, with the, the, with the, the people you had to fire as difficult as that was, it's just as fun to see people move on that do bigger, better things. Yeah. And so that's, but Hey, that's part of business and that's part of, you know, owning a business and running a business and operating a business that they don't teach in school. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a part that can also be really affirming and a really positive thing. Yeah. And it all circles back around to performance. It does. Right. If you define performance for your people, if you define performance for the team and the organization, then your people are going to be better. Your teams are going to be better and you're going to be more profitable as a company, which is going to allow you to impact the lives of other people as a result of your performance, not your willingness to accept mediocrity because you're a family. I can't think of a better way to end it than that's Yeah. Until next time. Very good. Thanks. Yeah.